0: Many of us are fixated on goals, insecurities, circumstances, or even an unknown future that we cannot enjoy the gifts of the present. Some of us are focused on our regrets and our mistakes of our past that we cannot enjoy the gifts of the present. And yet, there's even some of us that are so focused on the present moment that we forget what God has done and what God has promised He will do to actually enjoy the moment. And Jesus calls us to enjoy the present reality. He meets us right where we're at. It's not of, hey, I will come or I have come. It's, I'm with you right now, Jesus asks us to rejoice with him now, no matter your adversity, no matter your temporal present reality. The past two weeks, we've been looking at the good news as presented in Isaiah. And the, uh, the first week we looked at Isaiah 40 and the good news was what? God himself, right? God is the good news or behold your God. And, and last week we looked at Isaiah 52 and the good news is your God reigns right now the good news has a future promise and a future reality but it also has a present reality and a proclamation to the people to us to the people isaiah was presenting it to to judah god is present right now to the people of judah God is present right now. Your God reigns right now. Hear that in your life right now. God is present in your circumstance, in your moment, right now. And he also is sovereign in that moment as well. The good news never wavers. It doesn't change. Today in Isaiah 61, we hear the good news is that we are free, forgiven, and we get to rejoice in that. Today, today. Oswald Chambers, in his uh, uh, book *The Moral Foundations of Life*, says this: The spirit of God is always the spirit of liberty. The spirit that is not of God is the spirit of bondage, the spirit of oppression and depression. The spirit of God convicts vividly and tensely, but He's always the spirit of liberty. God, who made the birds, never made bird cages. It is men who make bird cages. And after a while, we become cramped and can do nothing but chirp and stand on one leg. When we get out into God's great free life, we discover that it is the way God meant us to live, the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's today that we get to live in that. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that you are free and forgiven right now. And no one can take that away from you. No government, no individual. You are free and forgiven right now. Today is the day to celebrate, rejoice, and relish in that freedom. In John 8, 36, Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus, the servant of God, brings joy to the free and forgiven today. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. You you heard this already from Jody. Let's hear it again. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. Now, some of you might recognize this from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus actually quotes this, these two verses. When he enters into the synagogue in Nazareth, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he, as he announces his public ministry, these are his first words. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm anointed. I'm here to bring good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open up the prisons, uh, 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 freeing the prison of those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' public ministry. For the people of Jesus' time, this good news Jesus was presenting, right now, this is true. Now is the year of the Lord's favor. For the people of Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, listen, there is a time coming when it will be the year of the Lord's favor. There's a time coming when, when the people of Isaiah were at Judah, they were fearing the incoming Assyrian army. There's a prophecy, this is about they are going to be captive in Babylon. And then they're going to be set free as well, too. And in some ways, it's fulfilled, right? When they are freed from the exile and returned from Babylon, that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus says, no, no, now, now is the full fulfillment of the year of the Lord's favor when Jesus comes. We are living in freedom from, the cap, from our captivity. From, for the people of Judah, it was literal captivity from oppressors, Babylon. But the oppressor of us, that Jesus frees us, is from sin. Sin, the ultimate oppressor. He says, now you are free and you are forgiven. This internal captor. Isaiah 48 through uh, 61 here, uh, there's four poems of the suffering servant, this prediction that he pierced for our transgressions as you might remember in one of those poems And, and many scholars since isaiah 61 is the fifth poem of the suffering servant and so here it is jesus proclaiming i am the suffering servant it is me that fulfills isaiah 61 and he makes clear what his role is did you hear his role the servant's mandate in isaiah 61 is the lord spirit of the lord is upon him He has a mandate that God's spirit is upon him. And the servant's motivation, the Lord has chosen me, has anointed me, has picked me for this task. And the servant's method, method, what is Jesus' method? Is to preach, to proclaim, to make clear. And the servant's market, who is he proclaiming to? Poor, brokenhearted, captives. Those who are bound. And I just want you to understand here is poor doesn't just mean literally financially poor. But throughout Scripture, poor often refers to those that are captive by sin. Poor being synonymous oftentimes in Isaiah and even when Jesus talks about God's people, those that are being oppressed. He speaks to the poor, poor because they are held captives by sin and the consequences of sin. And what is the servant's message? It's good tidings. It's good news. And what is that good news? It's the year of the Lord's favor, and he's going to bring redemption to those people. And how is that redemption talked about? This was one a really fascinating thing. Redemption is talked about in Isaiah 61 and in Jesus public ministry in the context of the year of jubilee. That's what the year of the Lord's favor is. It's the year of Jubilee. Now, I, I, just to backtrack for a second here, is there's a servant's mandate, motivation, method, market, and message. Here's the interesting thing. We are all invited into this as servants. You and I are called to be like Jesus, not in the capacity in which he can free and forgive people by the cross, but in his way of life. So the servant's mandate, the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Is it not? The Spirit of the Lord has chosen you, has he not? The the method to which we are to proclaim is to preach, to to tell people verbally the good news. And who are we to tell? The poor, the brokenhearted, those that are captive, those that are bound, those that are held captive by sin. And what is our message? Good news. And what is the message of good news? It is the year of the Lord's favor. It is the year of Jubilee. Let me explain the year of Jubilee in more detail. Leviticus 25.10 says, And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Now, jubilee is a concept of the ultimate Sabbath. So in, in Scripture, there's kind of three different kind of Sabbaths that are presented. The first one is a weekly Sabbath a weekly Sabbath which highlights and points to eternal rest, but one day a week for rest. And who's that rest for? People. That weekly rest is for people. And then there's this seven years of Sabbath rest for the land. So every seven years, you're supposed to let the land rest and let it go fallow and don't grow anything on that. And what's the reason for that? Who rests in that? It's the land. The land, creation, needs to rest Now, you can put some scientific things like, oh, this is important that we have rest and all that. But here's what, why God institutes Sabbath. God institutes Sabbath is not saying one year is more important than all the other years or one day is more holy than all the other days. It's actually kind of highlight that all the days are holy. Every moment is holy. And every moment ought to be a day of rest that you are with God. It's to remind us of this central fact and then there is a third sabbath which is the jubilee years so the end of seven cycles of seven sabbath years which is do your math 49 right seven being a number a a, a symbol a perfect number so seven times seven this kind of perfect symbol of nothing that at the 50th year after those seven times seven years there is to be a jubilee, a celebration, a ultimate Sabbath. Now, what's is interesting is that in Scripture, it talks about this mandate upon God's people. Nowhere in our history or in Scripture does it actually show that God's people ever actually observed the jubilee. Nowhere does it actually, we actually don't think they ever did. They actually never follow God's commands, which is kind of interesting in this. But here's what the jubilee is in this, is that, at the 50th year, all those who were indentured servants, slaves, were set free. Their debt was paid. They were no longer slaves or indentured servants, they were free. No payment had to be done. It was done. And then your debt was paid off. Gone. Financial freedom. And then the land, if it was returned to you, because the land was parceled out by tribes, and if you had land and you had to sell off for debt, it was given back to you, restored to you. This is a symbol of years of freedom, a year of freedom and forgiveness, a year of joy of living in that freedom and forgiveness. All this is the point. This is the ultimate jubilee. That This is what God does because all those things are God's gifts to his people. Jesus is when he opens up that scroll is proclaiming the ultimate jubilee is present with his arrival. God's suffering servant, Jesus, offers joy to the free and forgiven right now. We are set free from sin. We are set free from our oppressor because we are forgiven by him. This is the reason for true joy, and this is the reason for celebration. Yet even in this truth and reality in which we all live and know and we can, we can put that in our mind, yes, I know I'm free and forgiven, joy still eludes us, doesn't it? Let's rephrase this good news, and we can understand a little bit more in Isaiah. Jesus, God's suffering servant, brings joy, brings joy, this is his gift, to the poor by giving us freedom to live, to serve, to act, and to celebrate. Jesus gives joy, this gift of joy to the poor, to those that are held captive by sin, by giving us freedom to actually live, to actually serve him, to actually act with him, and to celebrate with him. We enter this gift of joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to live. We enter this gift of joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to serve him. We enter this gift of joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to act with him. And we enter this freedom of joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to celebrate with him in this year of jubilee. Let's look in Isaiah 61 and see the good news of the ultimate jubilee that is right now. Joy is expressed when we live in Jesus' freedom. Isaiah 61.3. To grant those who mourn in Zion. It's interesting. Mourn. Grief. To give a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. The, the proclamation of the year of Jubilee is a movement from a funeral to a wedding that's what the year of jubilee is when jesus says hey the morning the grief is over the bridegroom is present it is now the wedding day we are celebrating It's a movement from from ashes to a wedding garments that's described here in Isaiah 61, a beautiful headdress, a oil of gladness, garments of praise. Those are, are, those are, are wedding dress and wedding garments. It, it, it's describing right from, from death to life. And you, and you want you to think about this as, as marriage. This is what Jesus is putting in God. As marriage is a symbol, a day of celebrating. Why is it a day of celebrating? Because two become one a new one it's a new person it's new life a wedding day is about celebration of a new life that god joins together and we have a party we celebrate at weddings and previously in isaiah chapter 5 god disciplines his people because they were bad fruit because they weren't living out his spirit Now, because of what Jesus has done, what does it say? God has planted us like oaks of righteousness. It's no longer trees that bear bad fruit, but uh, we are a sturdy oak of righteousness. We, we are the beautiful provision of God. I just want you to comprehend that God is saying, like, you were once trees that produce bad fruit, and therefore you were put into exile. But now, because I have freed you from sin, you are oaks of righteousness, and you are the provision of our God. I want you to think about, as, as the people returned from exile from Babylon, they came from the north, that was the path, and they had to go through the beautiful forests that they hadn't seen for a long time, the cedars of Lebanon. And so was, there's was this idea with as they walk through the, the cedars of Lebanon and they march back into the promised land, they could look around and said, look at, the, look at the provision, God's provision of what he has done for us. And in this imagery in Isaiah 61, God is saying, it's not the trees that are provision. You're the trees. You're the provision of righteousness in this world. God has set you free from sin, death, and the evil one and he is giving you his righteousness and we are free to live in that reality we are free to live in his righteousness this new life in which we are now married united with christ so here's the thing about uh, marriage there are times of grief there are times of struggle there are times of happiness and here's what can happen in all that. Joy. I want you to think about joy for a second. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that exists in the past, present, and future. It cannot just exist in the present. Joy doesn't just happen because, oh, this is a happy moment, I have joy. Joy actually exists because you can remember things in the past that you can recall. And you can remember the promises that will exist in the future. And so no matter the present reality, you can live in joy. Which doesn't mean, ha-ha. It can mean because I'm living in the past, present, and future right now. I can do that. So you think about when we live with joy with God, we can actually live because we recall what has he done in the past. For me, for his people. What has he promised to do? Because there are times when we're going to waver, when life doesn't seem happy or joyous or good in that moment, but if we can hold on to the past, and we can recall what He said that promises the future, we can recall and live in that joy, no matter the circumstances. And that's what He's calling to you. I want Jesus is trying to say, "You are free. Today. You are forgiven today. Live in that freedom. Joy is expressed when we live in Jesus' freedom. Joy is expressed when we serve in Jesus' freedom. Verses four through seven. They shall be they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have have everlasting joy. When we are free to live, no longer enslaved to death and sin, we actually are then free to serve. When we understand that we are are free to live in our righteousness that God gives us, we are then actually free to serve, which is kind of interesting. Righteousness precedes servanthood. Such an important concept. Righteousness precedes servanthood, meaning you don't come to God and say, hey, I'm gonna serve and give to you, and that's gonna make me a more righteous person. It's not how it works. God comes to you, gives you what you need, your righteousness, and then he invites you to serve. He invites you to serve. It's not like you come to God and say, hey, can I serve you? Can I worship you? He gives you his righteousness first. This is, this is grace before works. Works flow out of a life of faith. In verse 3, we are, we are shown that we are made righteous, that God makes us righteous. And then in verse 6, right, we are then called ministers of God, priests of God. We are a, a royal priesthood in, united with Christ. Priests to serve who? Gentiles, outsiders, marginalized, those that don't know God. That's what Gentiles mean. We are priests of the living Lord. We are, what do priests do? They're mediators. They introduce people. Like, hey, let me introduce you to Jesus. This is what our royal priesthood does. This is what we are called to do to outsiders, to those that know, know Jesus. This is our call. We're free to serve him in this way. And notice the servant. What does it say in this, what our service is? To rebuild the ancient ruins to raise up the former devastations, to repair the cities. It's talking about restore the land and the temple and the city of Jerusalem. That's a metaphor. That is a metaphor. Because what we know is that there were eventually be a new city, a new Jerusalem, a new heavens. What does that metaphor point to? Who are we, who are we to restore? We are to... We are, New Testament taught, we are to seek and save the lost. We are to restore people because people are the temple. The church is the temple. We are to restore that temple. So we go out, we minister, we care for, we are priests to people to restore them to God. Joy evades and eludes us when we don't see our actions and don't see our vocations all of them, all of our actions, and all of our vocations as being part of our priesthood. I'm going to say that again because that's a really important concept. Joy eludes us when we don't see every action that we are given and do in this world as part of our or our jobs as part of our priesthood, as part of our ministry. Every action, every tone we take is about being a priest in this world, and here's the thing: we know this, even though we, it's hard to believe. It is that people are watching us all the time. All the time, people are watching us. So you can be a priest to someone without you even knowing that you are a priest of the Lord. And I actually, I think God actually shields us a lot from how we introduce people to Christ for our egos. But there's a lot of ways that we have a dramatic impact on people by ways we don't even know. By the ways that we just day in and day out because every action is an action of our calling to be a priest. We allow ourselves to enter into the joy of God when we see all of our actions, all of our lives, all of our jobs as a service to God. And so what we have to do a little bit is break down this barrier of, this, of the sacred and secular of, or in the church, the clergy uh, uh, versus the lady. right? We're all priests. We're all called to this high calling. Just because I serve as a pastor doesn't make me more of a priest than you. And in fact, many ways, you are more of a priest because you encounter people more than I do maybe. My job is mostly with his people. Not all of it, because I know not all everyone in here is God's child yet. Everywhere, everywhere we are a priest. And we enter that joy when we put our mind around it, that this is our calling, that God has invited us into it in every action. We are living in the year of jubilee right now. And the way the New Testament would call that, we are living the kingdom of God right now. Now, joy is expressed when, when we live in Jesus' freedom, when we, when we serve in Jesus' freedom, and when we act in Jesus' freedom, which you might think, hey, that is similar to serve. But let us differentiate a little bit. 8 through 9, verses 8 through 9. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them the recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them and that they are offspring the Lord has blessed. The personal righteousness in verse 3 that Christ gives is expressed outwardly in our character. It's not just to be given to us to keep to ourselves. God gives us his righteousness and I just get to hoard it and love it and keep to myself it's right. No, no. He gives us righteous. Righteous by its very neighbor is expressed outwardly. So righteous servants will act justly socially. We will act justly in relationship and community and, and as a priest. Because verse 8, we are representatives of the everlasting covenant. And the first thing it says here is God loves justice. It's who he is, justice and uh, righteousness in scripture is that it's the same word oftentimes. And so when we talk about righteousness here, we like to more put it in the context that righteousness is God's character. Justice is God's character. It is who he is. And so when he gives us his righteousness, he's giving us this character of justice and righteousness. And we're ever representatives of this everlasting covenant and what's fascinating here is the solution to the injustice of the world is god's covenant the solution to every injustice in the world is god's promises and what's god's promise it's immediately who he is the good news behold your god God reigns. I want you to think about this. So if you, if you in, if that is solution to all the justice in which he invites us, therefore we can see that justice and that character, that promise lived out in the past. We can see it as a promise that how it's going to be manifested in the future and then we can celebrate and live it out in the present in that joy. God's covenant which is grace and love and mercy. All of Isaiah 61 is put into the context of of marriage and a wedding and a celebration. And this is one of the first things I tell a couple when they come in for premarital counseling or marital counseling when they talk about is that your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is actually not about your relationships, although we might have to work on relational things. Your marriage primarily is a reflection of God's covenant and it is your best evangelism tool. Now, don't get married because you want to evangelize better. That, right, not starting off on the right foot on that marriage. But, but essentially what marriage is, is, is you make promises on your wedding day. And the rest of your life is that you live out those promises. This is what God does for us. God promises that when he unites us, this is what I have done and what I will do for you. No matter what you do, I will love you. No matter when you turn your back on me, I will love you and do these things. And he lives out his life to show us that. Now we, of course, the story is that we turn our backs to God, we sin, God pulls us back, all those kinds of things. But that's the metaphor here, is that marriage is, Living out grace and love for the world to see as priests in all things. It's our best evangelism to live out justly to each other. Verse 9, being well known, being a, a, a above reproach with the Gentiles, those that are outside, the oppressed, the marginalized, that if God's people are well known and above reproach, that is an act and it is a ministry how we talk, how we treat each other, how we treat those outside the church. Do you seek the well-being of your city, as Jeremiah would say? Do you seek the well-being of those that don't know God? Do you actually seek the flourishing of all humanity? That's the character of God. That is, that is justice lived out this gift of freedom from sin and this gift of righteousness is meant to act out in this way which you are seeking and you are living out God's covenantal promises for all people. Will you be joyful when you live out the character of God, this this new person which he's created us to be and he's created us to live out that new person right now in this year of Jubilee. Joy is expressed when we when we celebrate uh, the freedom of God and when we live in that, when we when we serve in that, when we act in that, and when we celebrate in Jesus' freedom. Verses ten through eleven. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I I hope you heard a lot of joy, a lot of rejoicing a lot of joy in Isaiah sixty one. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of my salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like the priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes it when it is sown, it is to be sprouted up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations." Once again, it is moving from a a funeral to a wedding, from death to life. And and Jesus says these things not in moments, Isaiah says it, not in moments when there's a lot of joy to be expressed in the present tense. In the moment when Isaiah preaches it, they are fearful of a conquering Assyrian army. War is about to ensue. They're about to be. They're promised Babylon is going to come and take over because of your sin. Jesus is preaching to the Israelites in the midst of being occupied by the most powerful force in the world, Rome. These are not comforting situations. And yet he says, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the moment of Jubilee. You can rejoice. Verses 2 through 3 write this. Flashback this garland of beauty, this oil of joy, garments of praise. In verse 10, the bride and the bridegroom are clothed with garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. We are clothed with the body and blood of Jesus. His righteousness covers us, it's imputed upon us. Jesus, God's suffering servant, works and forgives the sin cleanses our soul, frees us in this year of jubilee. He ushers in this jubilee year in his physical presence. It is his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, his gifting of his spirit to his people. He moves us from a character of rebellion to righteousness. He moves us from sullen to celebration, from death to wedding, to new Life. He changes our situation, our spiritual circumstance, not necessarily our temporal circumstances. And He calls us live out your present reality because what I promised in the future. What's going to happen in the future, you can live out right now, no matter your circumstance. And you do it because you can recall. What I've done in the past. Jesus is saying, right now you can celebrate. Right now you can have joy and you can rejoice because what I have done. I, I just want you to think about this moment that you can celebrate no matter circus because Jesus has given you his righteousness. He's given you this freedom right now, and he is present. <coughs> We are given a freedom to live on the joy of our eternal reality. We are to celebrate that eternal reality, not later, now, present tense. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news clearly again, that you are free and forgiven right now. Today is the day to celebrate, rejoice, and relish in that freedom. Jesus, the servant of God, the suffering servant, bring joy, brings joy, gives joy to the free and forgiven. Today is God's parade. Let's go. Let's do it again. No, right. Today is the wedding day. It's another metaphor. It's a day of so. Sur- Today is God's ultimate jubilee. Jesus brings joy in the moment to those who are poor, caught in sin, by giving us freedom to live with him, to act with him, to serve with him, to celebrate with him right now. We enter that joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to live. We enter that joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to serve, and we enter that joy because Jesus gives us the freedom to act and to celebrate with him. Now, it's, it's easy and it, it's very subtle to live in the doldrums of sin. We walk out this door, and life hits you, doesn't it? Better way of saying it is your sin hits you, whether you recognize it as your sin or not. <laughs> or other people's sin hits you, and it becomes normalized. It becomes normalized, and we just think this is the way life is. People that are sin, right? Active rebellion against God and His righteousness. And sometimes it's hard to recognize our sin or hard to recognize the sin of the world around us because it's normal. It's ordinary. And sometimes our lack of joy can be an indication for us. Sometimes. It could be indication that we forget that this is the year of Jubilee right now. What God has done for us right now. We forget what Christ uh, has done and has promised to do, and that we forget that he's present right with us right now, that he's changed our spiritual and our eternal circumstances. Now, I don't think the Bible is trite with joy. I don't think uh, I want to be trite with say, hey, just be joyful. Just be joyful, because that's not a reality. Because sin sucks us down. Our sin, other sin, this world draws us down. But this is why... Guess is why God speaks this in this moment to Isaiah, to Jesus. It's, remember, remember in the past what I have done. No matter your circumstance in the present, remember what I have going to do, and remember your present reality, and live in that joy. Someone needs to learn that joy right now. <laughs> Part of living in that joy is learning to keep telling the truth to each other. To keep reminding to yourself and to each other what Jesus has done. What Jesus is going to do and his present reality no matter what's going on in your life. Repeat it over and over again in your life. Repeat it to others so they may hear it because I'm telling you what, this is is what I find for people that are absent from church, Continually remove themselves. Maybe they once believed and remove themselves. They forget the gospel. Because if it's not repeated over and over again, it removes itself from us. Because it is, this is what God called, remind yourself over and over. Because the world, sin, your own and others, drags you down, normalizes everything else. Sucks the joy out of you. Remember, remember, joy is not a he-he, happiness. Like It can be in that moment. But it can be, joy can be a part of every other emotion and every other moment because joy holds on to the past and the future and lives it out in the present. Galatians 5.1 For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Let us not submit to the yoke of slavery of sin by reminding each other and living out with each other the joys of the present freedom the past and the future reality right now the freedom to live for christ the freedom to serve with christ the freedom to act with christ and the freedom to celebrate with christ right now let's pray gracious and heavenly father I think we all need to repent and, and be thankful that this reminder today. Repent for that we forget to, to, to be in joy and we forget uh, what you have done and we forget what you have promised and, and the circumstance of our sin overwhelms us and not realizing that you have conquered it all. That the very character of who you are, that the very promises of what you give are the solution. Now that is a joyous reality. Lord, help us as a people to not just remind each other, but proclaim it to each other and to the world of who Jesus is. Behold your God and that he reigns. And he reigns with grace and mercy and love. We love you, Lord. Lord, Help us in our love today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.